Corinthians 3, verses 15 to 17. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Barry. Well, there were a number of uh, titles I used for the Lord's Supper, some of which you wouldn't have been surprised to have heard. The breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, communion, uh, they're all fairly normal. We will have heard them uh, spoken at some point in this, this uh, church. The Eucharist is one that you may not have anticipated me using. And there are good reasons why Baptists don't use that title for communion. It, 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 uh, it is because we want to disassociate ourselves for, from some wrong teaching about what happens as we share in the Lord's Supper together. So our Roman Catholic friends believe that the bread becomes literally the body of Christ, and the wine becomes in some way literally the blood of Christ. And so when the Eucharist is shared, uh, there is a real sacrifice as the body is broken and the blood is poured again. And as Baptists, we have never believed that. We believe that the bread and the wine are signs, they are symbols that point us back 2,000 years to the one sacrifice of Christ Jesus, which counts as he died for our sins, for our guilt, for our shame on the cross. We believe that what Jesus did on the cross was more than sufficient to see our sins cast as far as the east is from the west. And we rejoice in that sacrifice and we declare that that sacrifice is sufficient. We rejoice in the words of Jesus as he hung on the cross. He said, tetelestai. He said, it is finished. It is accomplished. He completed his mission. No need for supplementary sacrifices. Jesus now has risen and ascended, and taken his rightful place at the Father's right hand. And we rejoice in the sufficiency of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we tend to shy away from the title Eucharist, and that's why we don't have Jesus on our crosses, because he's not on the cross anymore. That, 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 that is over. He has fulfilled his mission. Uh, so we, we rejoice in that, and I can understand why we have sought to disassociate ourselves from some of that teaching by not using the word Eucharist. But actually, the word itself is a very good word. It comes from the Greek word Eucharisto, which is a very simple word that just means to give thanks. To give thanks. This table is a table of remembrance. I'm not sure if you can see the letters to that effect there. But it's also a table of thanksgiving, isn't it? 
as we remember how the Lord Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life for us, while we were still God's enemies, while we were still enslaved to our sins, at just the right time, Jesus died for us, as unworthy, as undeserving, as we were and as we are. Jesus was willing to humble himself and become obedient to death, even death on the cross for us. And we remember that, we rejoice in that as we share in the Lord's Supper together. And so this table of remembrance has become to us a table of thanksgiving. How awful it would be to remember these great and glorious truths, to remember the giving of God that He gave the most precious gift He could give for us, the gift of His only Son, to remember the the giving of the Lord Jesus Christ as He surrendered His life, having lived a, a perfect, sinless, spotless, perfect, and pure life, the Lamb without blemish, willingly slain for our sins. It would be a tragedy, a travesty, were we not to come around this table filled with gratitude, overflowing with thankfulness at all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So remember that word, Eucharist. I won't, for good reasons, I won't use it on a Sunday morning, but remember the word, Thanksgiving. Remember that this table when we share in the Lord's Supper together, this table has become to us a table of thanksgiving. Now, we're going to do something a little bit frightening. We're going to have a short time of open prayer. Around short reading, and yet what an impact it ought to have in each of our lives. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. If you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Amen. I wasn't sure what translation to use when reading those two verses because there's a subtle but significant difference depending on what translation you read. Uh, So some translations say, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with, with the Spirit. Other translations say, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, with the Spirit, or in the Spirit. With the Spirit seems to suggest, to me anyway, that this fellowship that Paul has in mind is fellowship 
with God, if any fellowship with the Spirit. But fellowship in the Spirit seems to me to suggest fellowship with each other, with our brothers and sisters, as one in the Spirit of God. Well, if you're waiting for me to tell you my opinion on what the best translation is, you're going to be disappointed because I don't know. I don't know. I think it may well be that the Apostle Paul left both options open because both are true. The Lord Jesus Christ has opened the door for us to share in fellowship with God the Father. We were His enemies. We were subject to the wrath of God. But Christ, in love, gave His life for us. And when we gave uh, ourselves to Him, when we received Him as our Lord and Savior, we were lifted from the kingdom of darkness, we were washed clean, and we were welcomed into the kingdom of light, but also welcomed into the very household of God. We are expected to share in fellowship with God. We have this real relationship with God as our Father. And from that real relationship, there is an expectation that we will share in fellowship, or we might say in communion with God. But the Lord Jesus Christ has secured for us not just fellowship or communion with God in glorious isolation. He has secured for us fellowship, communion with one another. There is community and union in this church fellowship, I hope, but not just in this church fellowship with our brothers and sisters and the town and the nation around the world. We, we have been brought together in this profound and wonderful way. If you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, in the Spirit, It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to know that you will never be truly alone. All of us at times in our lives will experience that feeling of being alone, undoubtedly. But God is always with us. He is always for us. The door to fellowship with Him is always open to communion with Him. That door is always open. He is never too busy to receive us. He's got a lot on His plate, but He has more than enough resources to deal with it, as we heard uh, this morning. He's never, I don't know if you saw some time ago now, the interview with the guy from, uh, I think it was on the BBC, it was on the news, and uh, he was some expert in Korean relations, and uh, he was being interviewed in a very serious news segment about his opinion with what was going to happen, you know, is there going to be nuclear war again? He's giving his opinions on the geopolitical 
seen an inn run his two children. And he's desperately trying to get them to go away without shouting at them live on BBC. He turns and he sort of tries to say, I'm, I'm a bit busy just now, you know. Uh, this, is, this is the big moment that my career has been working up to for the last 20 years. Can you just leave Peppa Pig for five minutes? Uh, well, God our Father is never like that. No matter what is going on, all these huge things around the world, no matter how many of his people are praying to him in any given moment, he is always ready to receive us, to share in communion with us through the Lord Jesus Christ, as if there were only us. It's a wonderful thing. And it's also wonderful that we share in this profound relationship with each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ought to work to, to, to foster true fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We have many things which are different, and yet we have one thing which is uh, more powerful, which is infinitely stronger than all of them. Community and union, or community and unity, if you want something a bit catchier. That's what we share as we come around the table of the Lord. We remember that which binds us together. We are one in Christ Jesus, our Lord. A wonderful gift, a glorious gift, and a gift that we will celebrate in song in a moment's time. But I want to do the scary thing again. I want to hear one or two more voices just leading us in prayer to thank him. Uh, the, 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 the blessings that Christ has purchased for us by his death and resurrection are uh, enormous. But I want to, to thank him for the blessings which I think stand above all the other blessings, and that is the blessing of relationship and fellowship with God and relationship and fellowship with the people of God. Let's give thanks to him for those gifts. Amen. So we've thought of the Eucharist. This table has become to us in Christ a table of thanksgiving, uh, just as Jesus in the upper room, despite all that he was about to face and to suffer and to endure, still took the time to give thanks for the bread. So we give thanks for the bread that God has given to us, the bread of life itself. Table of thanksgiving table of fellowship, table of communion with God, our Father, and with our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the title that I usually use is the Lord's Supper, and this is the title that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But as he writes to the church in Corinth, he doesn't tell them to observe the Lord's Supper. He actually tells them that they are not observing the Lord's Supper. So our third reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20. Paul says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, 
another gets drunk? Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. Amen. So, the church in Corinth have problems. They have a lot of problems. They have significant problems. But one of the most significant is the way that they relate to each other around the Lord's table. So, these early believers would have meals together. They would have feasts. And in the course of these feasts, they would share in communion. They would share in the Lord's Supper together. And that's a good thing, isn't it? We at significant celebrations with those who we know and love, we share in food together. It's a good thing, particularly in that society in which those early believers lived, because some people were very rich and some people were very poor. And if you were very poor, there were very few safety nets for you to be able to feed yourself or to provide for your family. And so the design of these meals, these what were called love feasts, was to to foster a sense of unity and a sense of equality that in a society where everything was very clearly structured, you knew if you were upper class or uh, working class or lower class, you knew where you were in that, that pecking order, and the whole society was structured around where you were in that pecking order. Christians stood kind of radically opposed to that. They shared all that they had with each other. And so as they shared in these love feasts together, they were supposed to share. They were supposed to love each other. They were supposed to provide for each other's needs. And then at some point in this meal, they would share in communion together. But they weren't doing that. They weren't sharing. They weren't loving They weren't looking after each other. The the rich believers were away off to Marks and Spencers to buy in not just any food for their love feasts, but Marks and Spencers food. And then when they they shared in this feast together, they would sit with their kind of higher class friends and they would consume all of the, the finest of fare and just tuck in and leave those who perhaps weren't able to provide much without much or without anything at times to eat or to drink. And Paul says, what are you doing? You're you're going to these love feasts and some of you are full and drunk because you've had so much to eat and to drink, while others are left hungry and humiliated. This is not the way it ought to be. And the Apostle Paul is very strong. He makes clear to them that the way that they treat each other directly relates to the way that they treat their Lord. And that's a truth that is brought to us often in the New Testament, that we cannot 
tease apart the way that we treat our brothers and sisters with the way that we treat our Lord. They are bound together, whether we like it or not. So Paul says, you, it's not the Lord's Supper that you are sharing it. As you despise one another. If it's the Lord's Supper, then you ought to love one another as you love Him. If it's the Lord's Supper, then you ought to love one another as He has loved you. If it's the Lord's Supper, then that table ought to be a table of fellowship and of communion and of love. So we ought to examine ourselves as we come before the table of the Lord. We come every week. That's a good thing because it, it makes sure that we are brought before the gospel of Christ every week. I, I like a few of you. I was brought up in the Church of Scotland where it's, what, four times a year, I think, uh, which has a lot of disadvantages. Uh, the one advantage is you notice it, and it feels like it's a big thing. So when we have it every week, I think it's a good thing. It draws us back to the gospel. I, I can assess my sermon by how easy the link is into what we do around the table. Because my sermons should have all been about Jesus. No matter what I'm preaching about, no matter what text I've taken, it should be about Jesus. And so it should be very smooth and easy to lead into the, to the Lord's Supper. So I think it's a good thing that we share in the Lord's Supper every week, but there is a danger, and we need to be mindful of that danger, that it becomes very casual, that we don't examine ourselves as we should, as we come before that table. Are we loving the Lord as we ought to? Are we those thankful people that He calls us to be in Christ? Are we loving each other? Are we sharing in true communion with our Father and with our brothers and sisters? All of these questions ought to be in our minds. And then, when we have decided, we have resolved to do that which is right and to put right that which is wrong, we come filled with gratitude, filled with thanksgiving, ready to receive the grace of our God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And what a wonderful time of encouragement that is. What a gift this table is to the people of God. And we're going to share in that gift together in a few moments' time. But just before we do, we stand to sing, let there be love shared among us.